0: No. Wilcox, ahau, and welcome back to Indigenous 100 the podcast series where we interview 100 of the most inspiring indigenous thought leaders from around the world our thanks again to Tamangai Paho who have funded this series of Indigenous 100 aira te kōrero te so to the team at Tamangai Paho thank you very much for your support and for your support of all the indigenous content that gets funded. Today's episode is a really special one for me given it reminds me of my, well let's just say time at Te College watching one of the most impactful films I have ever seen. The film is of course Once Were Warriors and what would the film be without the actor who is our guest today, Rena Owen who played Beth Hecke. We talk to Renna about her acting career, her training, actually, as a nurse, and her upbringing in the town of Moidawa in the north. She talks about projects that she's missed out on for a couple of reasons. But the role that continues to follow her throughout her life, up until the present day, is her role of Beth Heke on Once Were Warriors, where she didn't win the Best Actress of the Year, award. This is our guest today on Indigenous 100. It's Rena Owen. No matter. Rena Owen kia ora, and welcome to Indigenous 100. Thank you for having me. It's awesome to have you. You know what? My 1993 self would be giving my 2023 self a huge high five. Wow.
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be doing the same. <laughs> yeah, but now we're twenty twenty three. So Twenty twenty three, yeah. Yes. It's coming a, up to the thirty year anniversary. Absolutely. Next year. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, twenty yes, we shot it in ninety three.
0: Do you know how I remember that? It's because I went to Teote College and we had a third former there by the name of Tongarua Emil. Oh. Who there was this audition process that was happening and lots of boys who, you know, fancied their kind of wares, uh, wanted to go along and audition. And Tōngoro got asked to, actually, by one of the boys, so he went along, didn't fancy his chances, ends up getting on this movie, which we didn't actually know too much about at the time. And I know it might be a bit whore for you to keep talking about this movie, but the reason why I wanted to start there is because I wondered if you realised at the time whether something so seminal that had such an impact on so many people that you were aware of that at the time, or not?
1: Yeah. No, it's, it's a good place to start because that's what launched me publicly and internationally. So it's the right place to start. I mean, prior to Once we're Warriors, I... Spent most of my years in television, sorry, and theatre, learning my craft, yep. and I could never have done what I did in the movie without the eight years that came pre- previous to doing the film. Yes, we will, because yeah. especially my mentors, who who you'll recognise straight away. I knew when I read the book, and I, I'm not a book reader because I'm a bit you know, uh, what's it, ADH, you know, attention deficit. You know, I was always the kid in school who was daydreaming, looking out the windows. So for me to read a book, I have to literally binge read it, which is why acting's so good for me, because acting forces me to be 110% in the moment, be there right now. That's where acting's great. And you'll, you'll see that a lot with young people who do have attention deficit. When they focus on their thing that they're born to be Mm. or born to do, they're just gonna excel because every cell of your being goes into that focus moment. I was living in Wellington, um, 1990, I was invited by Jim Moriarty down to Wellington to be a part of the first ever theatre marae season ever at the Depot Theatre, which went on to become Takirua. And I was living in my relation, Eda Mahenares' house, oh, yeah, yeah him, which used to belong to him and Hemel back in the day yes. with um, a few roommates and one of my flatmates, Morris, was like, man, you've got to read this book. And I looked at the cover, the Once Were Warriors cover, and I thought, "Oh, captured me straight away. And I started to read it and I could not put it down. Whew. I remember clear as a whistle, and I remember thinking two things. Whoever wrote this book had a front row seat mm-hmm. to this lifestyle because it was so authentic, it was so organic, and it was a lifestyle I personally had come out of. So I knew this where this person was sitting when they wrote this story. And the second thing I thought is, if this book is ever made into a movie, that is a role to die for. (laughs) (laughs) And I literally died for it. And a a year later, Alan Duff came out with a second book, and I was acting, directing, producing as a founding member of Takirua, Māori Theatre, And Dylan's called me and said, we want to do a reading of an extract from Alan Duff's next book, One Night Out Stealing. Would you organise something? And I said, sure, sure, give me the extract you wanted. I lined up a good Māori actor uh, to, you know, read the role. And then come the night, he didn't show up. And, of course, Alan Duff thinks this is a whole artistic bit of, you know, whatever. (laughs) And the publisher's freaking out. She said, well, what are we going to do? And I said, well, I'll just... I bloody have to read it myself. And so I did, I just started to read. And not long into reading, Alan turned around and he looked and he listened. And he came up to me at the end of it and he said, you read that exactly the way I wrote it. (laughs) And he said, how did you do that? And I said, well, I'm an actor. And I know this lifestyle. And then he said, have you ever read Once Were Worries? Because you'd be a great Beth. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, yes, I've read it. And I'd been pitching myself for the role of Beth. And he got a book of the publisher. And he wrote in the inside cover, to Rena, maybe my Beth one day. I hope so. (laughs) So that's where that journey began with me. It began with the book Mm. that came from Alan Duff. And we're only, as actors, as directors, as producers, we're only ever as good as our vehicle. That vehicle was as powerful as you could get. Mm. That vehicle dared to go to places that nobody had ever gone to. That's why it was... It Ripped everybody apart,
0: yeah. But there are those who still see Once We're Warriors as Jake's story. I, I, I never felt oh, that. Oh, no, no,
1: no, I've never, I, I never ooh, felt that. Well, that's new to me,
0: <laughs> yeah. Look, what, what, because there are people who see Once We're Warriors as Jake's story. Now, I never felt that way, but I think it's because of that kind of iconic role and the way in which Jake is in that book that people see it as. Hickey's story but it's not. It's No, Ben's no, story.
1: Jake's Jake's story was the sequel. Mm. What becomes of the yep. broken-hearted was Jake's all of Jake's story and in fact one of the keys to the film's success was it a, it was a wahine yeah. story. And, in fact, uh, Lee Tamahori and Robin Scholes both saw it as Beth's story, Mm. which is why they brought in Rewia Brown Mm. to work on the screenplay. And if you take out the woman, if you take out Beth, if you take out Grace, well, then you've got what you got in the sequel. Mm. So, no, this was – I don't ever say it was Beth's story and I don't say it was Jake's story. When you're writing a script, a story, you have to have a point of view. Mm. Every story has a point of view. So you watch it from a certain character's point of view. The story is Beth's point of view. The arc is her choice of her choosing to rise up, stand up against Jake Mm. and ultimately leave him. Mm. But it took, unfortunately, the greatest cost. She lost a child before she said enough is enough. And then you follow her to the marae where she reconnects with her So I've always seen it as a family story and I always believe that that's why it was so successful because we all come from families and alcohol abuse, domestic violence, sexual abuse, all the issues it it dared to deal with happen all around the world which is why it was so... It sold in 66 countries. Mm. To this day, it's still one of our most successful films because people identified with it. What made it unique, though, is it was a Māori family mm. and they saw aspects of our culture. And Lee was very clear about how he saw the vision, very clear, right down to his opening sequences. And... Um, so he knew he knew the kind of f- film he was making right from the from the beginning. But before Lee came, Robin goals. and and you know we don't have a job without producers, and producing is a tireless, unpaid gig. Mm. Nobody pays a producer to run off and create this vision and bring in your key creators. So key creators being Robin. A producer, Lee, the director, me and Tim and Rewia. We were the five key creators on that movie. Yeah. And she was driven by her personal experience of being raped. Now, that's a big story in of itself. That drove her to want to make this movie. And, and then she managed to bring Lee on. And I'd first, me, Rewia, and Lee Tamahori... Tim was doing Shortland Street. We all were part of the Air Tipu Air series, which were the first ever one-hour Māori dramas Mm -hmm. made for Television New Zealand, written by Māori, made by Māori for Māori. Mm -hmm. And another key to the success of Warriors is that Māori had creative control. And Lee was very clear about that, that he wanted, he put Māori wherever he could in front of camera and behind camera, mm. you know, but we couldn't have made the film without a parkia, without Robin. And I personally, you know, I'm trying to find that, that space in between because I come out of a Pākehā woman, You know, and I remember when I was going through my 20s, my radical stages as the whole movement was happening here in the 80s, and I was rah, 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 rah. (laughs) This was in London on my soapbox, and um, this Pākehā New Zealand woman kind of said, you know, I'd met her a couple of times, she said, you got a bit of a cheek actually, Ren, and I said, why? And she said, you come out of a white woman with a Pākehā woman. You came out of a Pākehā woman. And that kind of stopped me in my tracks. Mm. I thought, yeah. So I think part of me and my purpose is being that bridge to that in-between. We haven't quite found the right word for it. But I can't just say Māori because then I'm denying my mother. Mm. Or like when I got all this attention, it was always Māori this, Māori that. She's like, well, where do I feature in that equation? You know, and my mother... Her story in a, of itself is an incredible story because she married my father at a time when Pākehā didn't marry Māori. Biracial, or we were half-caste is what the word was back then. Didn't happen. We were probably one of the few half-caste families in Moirua. My mother was one of the few Pākehā in a valley full of Māori. Mm. And trust me, you know, my grandmother and all my aunties, they were not easy on my mother. Right. My father was the oldest of our family and he was destined for certain things in Māoridom because we are from Kawati. And my grandmother had a whole lot of land. And my mother, who'd come from Epsom Girls or Auckland School down here, got thrown up into that. One brother got thrown up onto that farm with all these mouldy. You know what though? By the end of her days, our mother was more mouldy in many ways than <laughs> our dad. You know, and and I realise now what a courageous, strong woman my mother was. Because when she first got pregnant with my older sibling in 1955, they tried to get her to have an abortion. Hmm. It's like you can't have a mouldy baby. Mm-hmm. You know, but she chose to have that mouldy baby and stay with my father for all of her days. And that in itself was uh, just... Anyways,
0: no, I no, digress. Look, no, no, well, it's a good digression because it's an interesting point you make. I mean, we think about the way in which films are made now and mm. we talk about Māori inclusion. Particularly, I mean, as you say, once a warrior is... I was talking to Taima, Annie Murray, the other day, mm. who said of the top five films New Zealand has produced, four of them maori mm. And yet we find ourselves in a time where we, we're trying to catch up uh, in the way in which Maori content is made. And so we push to have Maori everywhere as a part of the production. The reason why I raise it is because I think you make a really good point about, maybe it's the in action, I'm not sure, but that middle point that you were talking about, or that point where the way in which we talk about ourselves, not just as Maori, but our identity and culture, in Aotearoa, it requires kind of both sides to have Participation in the way in which it's done, produced, developed,
1: worked through. I don't think any of us would be here without Pākehā blood in our veins. Mm -hmm. You know, so we have to find that place that encompasses both because we are a product of both. And, uh, you know, I I try not to separate them. I am a product of my father and my mother. I'm a product of the world that they created. I like what Joe Cooper, Aroha Mai, Fina Cooper's son, Son. who recently passed away, he said, you know, in Hawaii, they call people who are organically from Hawaii, Hawaiians. Why can't we be Aotearoans? And I thought, I really like that. (laughs) Do you? Yeah, I do. Why? Because that's what we are. We're a mix. We're a mix. Well, even more so now. I mean, me growing up, it was very much that. But we didn't, growing up, we didn't have that kind, we didn't look at it like that. Mm. We didn't. We were all, we all grew up in Moirua. We all were neighbours. We all went to school. We really, that kind of came later with that whole shift I think in the late 70s or the 80s, we were literally, everyone was the same in terms of like, you know, but the thing is in in Moirua, Moirua was the most successful town north of Auckland. Everyone had a quarter acre section. Everyone had a car because everyone had a job. Mm. You know, but we didn't, it's funny. It's just not some, maybe it's because where I grew up was 97% Māori. So it wasn't something that was ever talked about. It wasn't until I left Moirua and came down to Auckland to train as a nurse. And I came from a predominantly Māori area to a class of 66 girls. And there was only two of us that were Māori. Mm. And I didn't see Māori in Auckland. And Māori in the city were different to Māori in the sticks. Mm. And so, yeah, I never grew up with that divisiveness, and because um, I say we all grew up under the same roof. I've got yeah. five brothers. You know, there's five boys, four girls, and we all are a product of both Māori, Park here. And but somewhere we've got to be Fano, you know. There's a, got to be that word Fano, that we all Fano. And I think that's was the key to once we're warriors. Is it was a film about Fano. First and foremost, and people around the world identified whether they were having teenage issues, whether they'd been sexually abused, Mm. whether they had been a victim of domestic violence. You know, these were universal issues. They don't know colour or creed. Yeah.
0: How much of Beth Heke in Once We're Warriors was as per, i.e. the script... (laughs) as envisaged by the author of the book, and how much of it is actually Rena Owen?
1: I think it's a a combination of all things. You know, as an actor, who you are is what speaks for you on screen. So you bring your full person to every role. I think that particular role, compared to maybe others, is I was able to bring an incredible amount of depth to that role. Because... There was dem- alcohol abuse, first and foremost. At my street, there was a pub at one end and a church at the other. And uh, But in my hometown, there was alcohol abuse, there was domestic violence, there was sexual abuse, there were gangbangs, there were teenage overdoses, there was incest, there was suicide and there was gang violence brought in at the end of the 70s. And those things happened in my hometown, but they happened in other hometowns all around the world. The difference back then is nobody talked about it. Mm -hmm. Your Jake the Musse's walked around in three-piece suits. Your Uncle Bullies were sometimes dressed as priests. No one talked about these things. So there was a lot of suffering in silence. And I think that's why I knew when I read the book and when I read the script, I knew. And I remember saying to Lee, I said, you know, this, this film has the potential to be, it's just going to rip everything open and has the ability to really go off. And he says, oh, no, 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 you know, you can't, you, you just got to see what happens. It did to rip open their closet and bring out all those Gallingtons and hang them on the line in front of the world to see. Mm. And you'll know this. Before the movie even came out, there were headlines, this film is bullshit. Mm. You know, this film shouldn't be made, this film shouldn't show Māori in this light. And, And no one had seen the film yet. And I remember thinking, okay. Who are we gonna serve? Are we gonna serve the majority of our people who lived like that Mm -hmm. and still live like that? Or are we going to serve a minority that is educated, that is a bit more well-to-do than your Jake the Musses or your Beth Hecke's? So I'd never had children So, and I unfortunately failed at marriage. So I hadn't been in that situation like a Jake and Beth. But I had seen and been through a lot of the other issues, which we don't have time to go into detail. You'll have to read my autobiography. (laughs) (laughs) No, I actually have to write it first. So I was able to... Suicide. Hmm. My brother committed suicide. And that's been talked about. Not a lot, because I've... Since warriors, I've always been very fiercely protective of my family, in my hometown, and I've, I choose to be in the public eye. They don't, mm-hmm. and there's a certain level of privacy that I've always respected. But that book will be written, okay. and I will go because it's, I've been brought through it, yeah, and I've been brought through a lot of things in this lifetime that many people don't survive.
0: The the Mm. point, I think, and you mentioned it earlier, that front row seat thing, the phenomenological kind of approach, which Mm. I think no one could have brought that role to life if they didn't have that front row seat experience. Despite being as skillful an actor as they could have been, um, but also part of that is about you.
1: That's right, and that's what I said earlier. With that role, you bring yourself to every role, but with Beth, I was able to bring a a depth to it because I'd seen alcohol abuse. I'd seen violence. I lived through suicide.
0: How is it then, and I don't know if this still rankles with you because it still rankles with me, because I watched the awards the next year,
1: uh, yeah.
0: How is it you didn't win Best Actress for that <laughs> award for, 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 for that film in 1994? Because I remember watching it live when it happened and going, hey, eh? what the mm. hell's going wrong here?
1: Um, yeah, that hurt. Because I, I, I put everything into that role. And as Lee Tamahori, our director, said, he said, everyone got their award except for the woman who carries the movie, and I did carry that movie, and he said that to me then, and I knew I had. I knew where I had to go to dig so deep in order to bring what I needed to bring to that role, because I knew that the issues in this film were important issues that needed to be talked about, that needed to be put out there, so we could stop this behaviour and so I gave it my all and I learnt two very important things. So I thought I was gonna win it, because all the media said, Well, hey, this is a no brainer. It's uh, gotta go to Renault. And so never count on an award for one. There were two things that happened. It's a country thing. We still suffer to this day, tall Poppy syndrome. In a way that it was almost like we can't quite fully give every single award to this movie. It's almost like I, I was the sacrificial lamb to a, a certain point because, yeah, that movie wouldn't have worked without what I mm. brought to it. It wouldn't be the movie that it is without me and then combined. Oh, damn. Mm-hmm the most amazing transformation I've ever witnessed. What really hurt is in the television category, because there was a film at the time, Bread and Roses. Oh, yeah. And she was a New Zealand icon, yeah. and they wanted to acknowledge her. And they rightfully gave Genevieve Pico, who I went on to do a TV series with in Australia, Best Actress in, this, in the TV category, because it was a miniseries. But then they turned around and gave Best Actress in the Film category Mm. to her. It was a bit obvious. It was a bit blatant. And I'd heard little things like, oh, we can't give that little Māori girl the award will go to her head. Maybe I was too big for my boots. Really? Yeah, maybe. You know. But see it's interesting you say that. When we shine, our kids, and if there's something I want to do in my lifetime, is I'd like to create an environment where our little Māori boys and girls can show off, can rise and be tall poppies. Because I've been one of those little kids that Mm. got the shit kicked out of me. I Mm. was bullied so badly. And I'd often wonder, what is it about me that made them want to beat me up all the time Mm. as a little kid? You know, and it was kind of, it almost felt a bit like that again. Like, what is it? What was it? What is it about me that people couldn't embrace or fully want to acknowledge? I know Uh, these are big questions. No, no.
0: Mm. What I was going to say was I felt like we all got kicked when you didn't win, to be honest. And considering that acting isn't something you set out to do, you wanted to be a nurse. No, I've got to, oh, no, you tra- sorry, brother. You, tra- you trained as a
1: nurse? Sorry, I've got a backtrack. And yes, I, I agree. We we were all hurt. Yeah. That's why I was saying earlier, it's almost like they couldn't give, quite give them. its full mana. Yeah. It couldn't give, win every award yeah. to say, you know, hey, you, you're right, so it wasn't just me. It was a lot of, it was all of it, really. Um I was born creative, hypersensitive, overly emotional, vivid imagination, intuitively intelligent. So I was born an actress. I came out dramatic. I started at five years old, Moira Primary School, kapahaka, and I loved doing the poi and swinging my hips and entertaining the tourists. So I knew as a kid that I just loved performing. And I was first published when I was eight. I entered this poetry contest for children under 10, and I won. And my poem was published, and I won a whole five bucks, which was a lot of, a money, lot of money in the late yeah, 60s. Yeah. And then as a result of – then when I went to Bay of Islands College, we had the best principal, and principals can and do change lives. As a result of being in the Bay of Islands College Māori Culture Group, um, and I was going to – I went through a very rough – Stage as a teenager, I went through very rebellious stages, and I remember talking to mum going, Why? Because I was always this good little girl who wanted to be a nun, thought I wanted to be a nun.
0: <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but <laughs> true, you? know,
1: it's true. true. And then I said, you know, I turned into this rebel as a teenager, and she said, I think it was a reaction to the reality, but also, too, you know, I'd gone through all the grace mm, stuff mm. As, as, a, as a young girl, so um, and so. Th- Mr. Leadley, our principal, we used to tour around and entertain in Kapahaka, and I led the woman's haka. I was bloody good at Kapahaka, man. Well, we were the Māori club back then. And Mr. Leadley saw me uh, lead the, the, the Māori, the woman's uh, haka, and he went back to school and he said to Mr. Gay, head of the English department, he said, I think you better audition that young Owen girl. I think she's got something. Mm. So he recognised it. And I auditioned, and so my first stage role was Bloody Mary in South Pacific. Oh, yeah. And I did such a good job that I got promoted to the lead role of Calamity Jane and Calamity Jane the following year. And then I did a few plays for the church. We were raised Catholics, and we used to go to the Pangaru Convention mm-hmm. every year, did a stage play there. Uh, where I, of course, I met Fina Cooper. Yes. And so I knew as a rangatahi, as a teenager, that I had found my place in the world and that I wanted to be a performer and a creative. Oh, okay. I wasn't allowed to be an actor, is what it was. you got to remember, I didn't grow up seeing brown faces on our TV screens mm. or brown faces on our stages. And 15 years later... It's what pleased me most about the success of Once Were Warriors is that film told little brown children all around the world, actually, that they could be actors, that they could be writers, that they could be filmmakers. Also, as a wahine, as a woman at the end of the 70s, my career options were I could be a secretary, a teacher or a nurse. Mm -hmm. I applied for teaching and nursing. I got accepted for both because I had school C and UE. So back to the principal... One year he wanted to expel me, put me on a stage, and the next year he was giving me a cultural award for my contribution to the life of the school and the arts. And they can turn around your lives, Mm -hmm. principals and school teachers, you know, they do. And so I couldn't become an actor. So I did go nursing, and I did uh, train. I was one of the last to be hospital trained at Auckland Hospital, and I qualified as a general obstetric nurse. And then at 21, I went on my Kiwi OE, and it was a life-changing OE in London, which we obviously haven't got time to get into. But that life-changing Kiwi OE that I went on, literally, instead of going to med school in London to become a doctor, I ended up going to drama school. Because I knew in my heart, as a 24 year old going on a 25, that I still really
0: wanted to be an actor. See, that's interesting. Mm. A lot of people at that age probably thought the dream's over. I'm going to follow a course that, you know, it's a bread and butter thing. I've got to get bread and butter. i got to get something. Yeah
1: I, yeah, I had that choice. I remember at the moment very clearly wow. where I could have gone that way, and back into medicine or doing something that would have given me a regular income, or I was going to go this way, the way of the arts. And it was, I knew I had to follow my heart. That's the difference. This mind gives you the ability to think, the heart gives you the ability to feel. And I think everyone's life purpose is in the heart. It's not in the mind, it's in the heart. And I think we're all born with a little chip, a little Mm. blueprint in our heart because I do believe every single person on this earth is born to be good at something. And if they have the courage to follow their heart, it can take a lot of courage, because our head and our mind, wants that regular income, needs the security. So I knew what I was doing when I chose
0: to pursue the arts, but
1: I had to. I had no choice. I had to. It was,
0: yeah, I had to. Where does that come from, though, the... The knowing, born as an entertainer, <laughs> knowing that that's your life's purpose, knowing that you were good at it, despite the fact that you didn't get the the rewards and the awards that you should have got, <sighs> where does that come from? The knowing, but that this is what you're born to do. Is it a DNA thing, or where does that it's, entertainment? It's a, it's, strip? A, it's
1: a combination for me. For me, first and foremost, it's spiritual. Mm-hmm. I am a child of God. I would not still be sitting here if it was not for my faith, if I did not believe in a creator that is bigger than any of us and all of us. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, it was faith. I think you are born with certain qualities. So I was born with those qualities that lend themselves to creativity, hypersensitivity, over-emotional, vivid imagination, storyteller, those things, you know. People are born with different attributes or talents. Yeah. I think you call them talents, yeah. to be good at whatever it is. And, you know, high school is the place you find out where. So it does. I think you're born with it.
0: Yeah. I think you are born with certain qualities. That collection of skills, though, mm. for lots of people means something different.
1: Well, this is right. You, you can't just get up and go, I'm a doctor. Yeah. Or You can't just get up and say, I'm a, I'm a plumber. Mm. These are crafts. These are like, okay, I've got talents. I like doing this. So in high school, I I encourage young people, find out what you like doing in high school. You want to be a rugby player, then guess what? It starts now. Mm. You start training. You start getting out there. You get your fitness up. If you've got this dream, and I did when I committed to it, I set out and I wanted to do theatre, television, and ultimately I wanted to do a lead role in a feature film. And I did Once Were Warriors in my eighth year as a professional, and I was very one-track minded in terms of, uh, I was driven by a few things because I was one of the few to get out of Moirua. I was the only one to get out of Moirua. And my ticket out of Moirua was called School CNUE. I had an education, so that led to a career. I kind of was the first, I was number five out of nine, and I was the first one to get the qualifications and go on to have this medical career. So I was the the pride and joy, you know. I was daddy's girl to to a certain degree. And then off, you know, and I qualify and they came to my graduation and they were so proud. And off go to London and I did what young people do. And I've just recently said to somebody, don't play with drugs. Because I played with drugs. And I was two things. I was whakahihi. I was arrogant. I thought, oh, I'm educated. I'm a qualified nurse. I can play with these things. And I was also naive. I was incredibly naive. As 21, come on, we all remember at 22, we thought we knew it all, right? Yeah, well, we don't. And so I played with fine, I got burnt. Mm-hmm. But going through that uh, brief, intense stint with drugs, and at the time the two drugs were speed and heroin, um, made me. It was going through that that took me to that place of when I got off the drugs and had a whole lot of therapy, led me to my back to my heart to go. I still really wanted to be an actor, so um, I had, I was driven by also this need to want to rise up again because I'd gone from there to, you know, to the gutter, mm-hmm. so to speak, and he, I believed that it was a divine intervention. I got caught at the drug dealer's house. They took us to the cop shop, King's, King's, King's Cross in London, and I, you've got to remember my experience of police was working on the same side of the fence with them in a- A&E in Auckland Hospital, and I just said, what do I do? And they just said, tell the truth. So I told the truth, and I signed the dotted line, and that's what convicted me. But it saved my life. Mm-hmm. You know, that conviction is a pain in the... How much of a pain? Huge, what, huge pain.
0: What, what's the impacts of it? What has it...
1: Well, you know, when you've got a conviction, um, visas waivers. Oh, I go through it every time. I've had to go through it recently. <sighs> and you think, I think this is for for a lot of people. That was nineteen eighty four. Hmm. How many years ago is that? Forty just about forty or, years Almost no. forty years ago. But when I go through it in the paperwork and the processing, and the drug testing. It can be very humiliating. But I sit there and I go, okay, okay, God. Without that conviction, that conviction saved my life, is what that conviction did. So you got to weigh up the odds. Mm. I'm alive. And I got to go on and follow my heart and pursue my dream and fulfil my dream and go on to become a role model, you know. And the thing I like, and you'll understand this, your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, you know, your 20s, you're finding yourself, you're finding your place in the world, you're figuring out who you are, what it is you want to be in your 40s, and then you get to your 50s, and now I'm, yes, in my 60s. (laughs) (laughs) It's not about, so you're finding yourself, your identity, where you belong, then you're building the legion, and then you get to this age. If you're lucky enough, my dad died at 59. Mm-hmm. I'm incredibly lucky. Mm-hmm. And now it's about legacy. And for me, legacy is what do I want to leave behind? You know, my dad, by papa, coming from Kowati, mm-hmm. could have worn, carried the Ngati mental. mantle. Mm-hmm. And he was trained from zero to seven by Piper, the oldest of my grandmother. My grandmother was the baby of her father. that came from not all that came from Māori iwi. Oh yeah, and um, trained till he was seven, and all the history of Tainui, and all of that went to the grave.
0: Because
1: mm. my father's generation was very affected by white was right. White was the new way, and so him marrying pakia was a you know, a bit of a, it was not easy for my grandmother because my as my aunties were Tomos mm-hmm. because of the land, and we still have all you know a lot of that land. Uh, but anyway, I'm I'm kind of digressing, and I should let you ask a question. <laughs> we <laughs> kind of we never were around the moon it's, it's and not, back. It's not an
0: interview; it's a quarter. Have you lost roles because of what happened in 1984? Um. Because it's tough, you've got to go through all that processing just to be able to get out of the country. Yes, I have, actually. Yes, you're right, I
1: have. Yeah, I've, I've, I've lost a few roles because the visa waiver didn't come through in time. Yeah, yeah. I remember the first time um, I'd been cast in an American film, and uh, so we applied. <laughs> this is a good story. Applied for my 1st so O1 visa. And, you know, I ticked the boxes, and it says criminal conviction. I took no because it had been expunged. So, you know, after Warriors, we, me, Lee and Tim, uh, got offered a lot of roles in Hollywood. And um, I turned down my first offers. Am I allowed to know what they were?
0: Do we uh, know them? Are they not new?
1: really. Okay. Um, yeah, and I turned them down because the scripts weren't good. Oh, yeah. And the American agent was not happy with me because it was like, this is an offer. Yeah. And it was a lot of money. If it was now, I'd take the money. <laughs> But at the time, my artistic integrity was way more important. And I thought, well, I've always chosen my roles in theatres based on script. Why should that change? Because you're only ever as good as your script. So one of them, I read it and I knew straight away, I thought, oh, this is a bad script. Similar census, no. And it killed Julia Orman's career in America. The next two were starring... Supermodels, phenomenal supermodels. Cindy Crawford was one vehicle and the other one was a Naomi Campbell. And those ones I turned down too because they just weren't good scripts.
0: Well, they're, they're not known for their movie careers.
1: No. <laughs> and I, no, they're not. So they might have they're been a not. good decision. They're, they're exceptionally s- brilliant supermodels. Mm. But, you know, this is the thing, coming out of theatre, that was the mm. difference, I think, too, yeah. between me and Tim. Because he'll be the first to say, "You yeah, all is." first Hollywood movies ended up on the top 10 list of the worst (laughs) films made in America at the time there's been I'm sure been worse ones since in the last decade but in theater you can live down a bad stage play I always knew with celluloid it's there for life so I always wanted to be proud of what I committed to celluloid so I was very fussy about what I did choose to do and instead I went back to theatre after Once Were Worries Media did say I was crazy, thought what's wrong with her, she's turning down Hollywood I went back to theatre, in some ways too, looking back on it now because I have the gift of, or the hindsight of maturity now, I was probably very afraid of it at the time. Of going to Hollywood Yeah because, you know, theatre I'm quite an introvert
0: Hang on this is after you saying for about twenty minutes that you're a born entertainer. Yes, I know,
1: I know. I and know. got a cultural award for the hacker. I know, I know. But this is the dichotomy, or dichotomy is not the right word. The writer in me is an introvert.
0: Okay.
1: And but the actor in me is the extrovert. Right. But you will find, I bet you are too. A lot of extroverts are intimately very shy people, and we're quite vulnerable. And, and I've always been that, since I was a kid. Um, and so, uh, theater was a, an easy place for me to hide. Or a safe space. A, a safe, safe space. Yeah, and so acting, I could come out, at and you gotta remember as a kid, I was bullied. Mm. And I was picked on and beaten up. Because if I got the top in the class, I'd get out and be beaten up, or if, if I sh- shone at something, or did something, excelled, I'd get bullied. So, you know, a lot of our kids who get bullied, they have to hide their their light, so to speak. They hide it in the bushel, so to speak. And so acting gave me a safe place, a very safe place where I could come out of myself. Mm-hmm. Even Beth and Warriors, I could come out of myself and put all of that out there. I couldn't do that in my own life. Um, so it was a safe vehicle, and so was writing, um... But anyway, I lost track of your no, original well, question. No, we what talking about was Sorry. the Hollywood
0: offer.
1: Oh, yes, <laughs> that's right. And so anyway, um, I did actually, when I finally got a really good Hollywood uh, offer, it was for Alien with Signori Weaver, but I'd already signed a contract for two years on an Australian TV series, and you can't break contracts. And so then another Hollywood offer came through, and this time my TV show had finished and I was available. So I did my paperwork. I ticked no, 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 no. I get a call from the American Consulate Embassy and they said, You've the criminal conviction, you've ticked no. Why did you tick no? Because we read in the woman's day that you'd gotten caught up in drugs and got convicted. And I. I ticked no because it's been expunged. And they said, you need to read the fine print, which I never really do. You have to declare everything. So the only place really in the world that this conviction exists is, it doesn't even exist where it happened in London. It exists in the American, but once it's gone into the system, then it exists all around the world. I mean, the sad thing is, I'd love to go back to London, but I'm too scared to go back in case I get deported. You know, because the thing is now with the system, since 9-11, um, and if you your ten-print, if you've ever been fingerprinted, that will pop up at every border. So you live wow. with these things. Wow. Conviction, everyone lives, you know, anyone who's been convicted.
0: Were we allowed to know what the movie was?
1: Oh, God, I couldn't even tell you. It was, oh, God, Gary Sinisee was in the lead role, yeah, and I loved Gary Sinise. I couldn't tell you what it was called. I mean, that that was in the 90s. And anyway, so it took a while for that visa waiver to come through and I didn't get back in time to do that movie. There was another movie with Mark Forster who went on to become a huge director. He wanted me in his first American indie film, but I didn't have the visa in time. Um, it's happened recently where the visa hasn't come through in time for me to get over for a job. So it's just, yeah, sometimes it can feel quite cruel, Mm. but it's, like I say, I just have to go, it saved my life.
0: Well, I, I never knew you were going to be or had asked to be a part of Alien. I never knew that.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, no, that was 1997. Yeah, but hey... The the good thing was, is the movie didn't do so well. It was a bit of a, you know, it always makes you feel better when it's a flop. (laughs) Because you go, okay. Um, You know, Avatar was another possibility. I was kind of having some dialogue there for a minute, but I had done a pilot for a TV show. And if the pilot didn't get picked up, then I would have, could have been available to be possibly, to have done something. But the pilot got picked up, so I missed out on Avatar.
0: The other thing that, that I think about when I hear you talking in this way is that it seems to me that there's still a burgeoning industry that you should be leading, and potentially that can happen at home. I mean, look, look at what's happening in New Zealand at the moment. Exactly. Know, and really? Yes, there's a yeah. writer's strike and all that kind of stuff, yeah. And but, but lots of these productions are now going to Australia. They're not coming here.
1: It, absolutely, you know, and it, it's, uh, it's it's always been part of my co-papa Always I've had this, I, I had this kind of, you do have to make choices, as you'd know, in terms of what you're going to do career-wise. And
0: Let, let's just be clear, there's a big difference between my career choices and yours. Oh, <laughs> not really, not my really. My golf
1: show? Yeah, <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe. You know, it, no. <laughs> Everyone is of value, and what everyone does <laughs> is of value to somebody and, and often to community. So we choose – what I'm, I mean, like, so you're choosing to do this show right now, but next minute you're going to choose to do a different show. So I always knew that, you know, um, it, well, it started in Māori theatre. Jim mm. Moriari, before then, Don Salwan was my mentor. Mm. Oh, Don Salwan. You know, and I'd come back from London. My father died at 59, f- way too young, right before his 60th birthday. My sister at the time was working for Māori Affairs, which was on Ponsonby Road. My sister was one of the Shelley Beach Road. Remember oh, yeah. when they used to bring yeah. Māori girls from the country and <laughs> yeah. put them into uh, – they used to live in these houses yeah. and they'd get skills where she worked for Māori Affairs. And so when I came down to the city after f- being up north, she said, OK – i got to take you down and meet Don Sowen.
0: Just down the road, pretty <laughs> much. Yes, yeah. pretty
1: much just down the road, because he's doing what, what you've been doing in London. Because I wrote my first stage play in London. Oh, wow. Uh, gosh, um, the river that ran away. And that was based on my experience of uh, coming off drugs and human issues and, the, yeah, and... Um, and and so I'd already committed to that life in theatre and write being a writer and being an actor and she said i will take you down. So she took me down and I met Don. <laughs> Don. What a I man. Hey, hey. oh, do you know i never forget him and it reminded me so much of my dad because he had on the white singlet <laughs> and he had the towel around his neck. <laughs> you know, the old Billy T, you know, and, and he oh. But the voice the voice, yeah, the voice and the you know and he was my mentor and my friend and and really a father figure to me was Don and and um and of course through Don and Larry Parr was the Air e series and that's where me and Lee Tamahori and Riwe Brown every all these Maori got brought out of the woodwork you know, to give them that opportunity. So I've always seen part of my life purpose is to do the same as what Don did, as what Jim Moriarty did. It's an obligation. Mm. I really believe that, that when you've been blessed, you turn around and you be a blessing to others. You know, um, and I remember, though, I struggled because I had the opportunity to work and live in America, and and I said to Cliff Curtis you know, one of our best, I said, you know, I feel Torncliffe because I want to be at home and imparting what I know to our rangatahi. And he said, yeah, but he said, you are. You are still helping them. And I said, how? And this was in Hollywood. He said, because you're opening the door for them here. You know, and my mother, my mother, I was living back on my grandmother's farm in Kawati Valley, very safe, one of my most precious places, and it was that American job and I was humming and hiring it, and mum came up and saw me and she said, She said, and I said, Oh Mum, I got everything I need right here. I don't need to go off to America. And she said, Listen, girl. She said, There are a thousand Maori girls out there who'd love to be in your position. She said, Home's always gonna be here. We're always gonna be here but you're not always going to have the opportunity to get on a plane and go and work in America. She said, you take that job and you catch that plane and you go to America. <sighs> Thing is, as you know, you know, they do die. Mm. And people aren't always going to be there. But they, why do is always going to... Be. My mum... <sighs> always with me. That night when I didn't win that award, it really hurt. And I had a lot of whānau come down, nephews, teachers, all so proud of me. And I I didn't win it. And my mum had this strong feeling before the moment happened. And she knew. She was intuitively intelligent. I get my gifting from my mother. Other things I get from my dad, the high cavity forehead, <laughs> <laughs> the cheekbones. <laughs> and I i was so hurt, and I got just went out and cried, and she was staying with me that night. And I'll never forget it, because I was crying. And she's in bed, and she just cuddled me. Mm. Mm. And she said, it's, you know what she said to me? She said, listen, girl, even Jesus got rejected by his own my mother was a devout Catholic, and I'm grateful for that because she passed on the gift of faith yeah.
0: to me. Mm. Do you, do, it's interesting that you say that dichotomy of maybe I got the dichotomy right in that context, actually, <laughs> <laughs> um, of, of being at home and being away, you know, yes. and, and, and uh, the ability to be able to open doors and, and all that kind of thing. Because, and Cliff's right. Mm-hmm. Actually, is that part of your responsibility ongoing? Is actually is to actually keep opening yes. those doors. You know, we got some fantastic, talented, oh gosh, yeah, young, yeah, Māori actors. I mean, look at what Julian Dennison is doing with Mini Driver and the Minutewar, and then look what yeah. um, you know, the in Out in Melbourne, and them. I mean, this, you're is,
1: in this is right, all of them. But you, you know, the thing is, so in my day. There was hardly any Māori yeah. in drama school. Yeah. Now our drama schools are full yeah. of Māori. We've got the talent and yeah. we've got the writers and we've got the filmmakers. What makes a film Māori? Or is it a New Zealand film? An Aotearoa
0: film? Yeah, you know. See, once in that context, you're yes. right. That's where the Aotearoa part comes in. Yes, out.
1: because it is. It's a film that belongs to the whole country. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, pleased me most besides the fact that that film told young our young Māori and Pacific Islanders that they could be actors and writers and filmmakers, yeah. is before the film came out here or even after the film came out, there was the top critic, I can't remember his name, but in his review he says, oh yeah, well this movie shows us what we all know, knew is that Māori get drunk and beat each other up. And then there were other headlines, this film is bullshit. The first review... And I knew that people would see this as they would see the, the the issues that needed to be put out into the light. The first international critic, and he was the biggest in the world at the time in, in Khan, where the movie premiered, he said, the first sentence said, this film shows what can happen to a warrior race that has been colonised. <laughs> That's what the world saw. That's what the whole world saw. Yeah. And Irish identified with it. Yeah. Any country that had been colonised identified with once were Rose. Native Americans. Mm-hmm. White people. You know, the, the thing that... A blonde hair, blue eyed. That's what blew me away, is me and Lee toured the world with the film. And um, it was in all these Scandinavian countries. The standing ovations. And they were all incredibly white. Mm. But it was their story. Cold cold climates, they drink a lot, they fight. People get sexually abused. People abuse alcohol. People have domestic violence. Mm. The amount of people that would come out of the cinema and would just cry on my shoulders. I remember watching in Toronto, because Lee and I would go in and introduce a movie, and we'd come in at the end for the Q&As. So it would always come in the last few minutes. And I remember watching this small, petite Asian woman jumping up in the aisle when Uncle Bully's getting beaten. Just going, yes, smash him, smash him! And I knew she'd been abused. There was a guy, one guy, Scotland, Scottish fella, standing up in the front row, shouting at that scream. Mm. There were big gang members here at home who came in all staunch and at the end of the movie sitting there crying like babies. That's what that movie did. Because that movie brought home a truth that too, a truth is that too many of us experienced or knew somebody who had experienced them. So that's a big part of my mahi is humanity. Arts is about humanity. You know, it, it, when you look at a film or a stage play book, it portrays a slice of humanity, mm. and it's what makes my job so interesting. Is because I can't ever say I know it all. Because humanity is evolving. It's a constantly changing phenomena, what it is to be human. And when humanity is brought to the screen, when you think about what are your most favourite movies, and you ask yourself, why is that movie my favourite movie? I'll tell you, I can put money on it. It touched your heart.
0: Yeah. I mean, most people would say they go to the movies for a form of escape. It's that suspension of disbelief, right? Mm. But I think you're right, it's the incredible, it's the powerful emotive that really sits and sticks Mm. with you, and I wonder if that's something that you still are are searching for, is something similarly as powerful, as provocative, as emotive that can hit an audience like that movie. Or is that always going to be a never-ending quest?
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I don't, you know, I had to come to terms with the fact that as an actor, you do theatre, you might do some television, then you might get one scene in a movie, you might get a cameo role, and then you might get a bigger role, and then you might get a supporting role, and if you keep at it and you're good at it, you get the lead role. Well, my film career went straight to the cherry mm. on top of the cake. Mm. Even big movie stars, just every time they'd meet me, they'd go, oh, my God, that movie. Um, nobody's ever gotten reviews like you got, I got internationally. And this what justified me in a lot of ways when, when I wasn't uh, given Best Actress here on Home Ground, which is where it really matters the most, is on Home Ground. A month later... I went off to the Montreal Film Festival, which is an A-list film festival, and I won Best Actress there. I then I won it in San Diego. I won it in Portugal. I won it in France. I won Best Actress all around the world. So that kind of reinforced and told me, you know what? You did a good job, girl. Mm. You did give everything. I gave everything I had to that role, and I did do a good job. And it was recognised, not by people who were – that decision was made by a few people on a jury, so mm. to speak. And those people had their reasons why they chose not to give me Best Actress. And and only they'll really know, but we can guess and put out theories, but really who only those people can say, yeah, well, this is why I chose to give
0: it to the Australian actress. <laughs> 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 well, but, I mean, the other thing that, that I think about is – you know, say, so for example, a film like Fenner, mm, mm. Powerful lead. Yes, th- three actresses or three actors that form... And by the way, I think that does justify Fenner and the way in which we recognise Fenner now mm. as such a powerful leader in her community in Aotearoa. But, um, you know, it feels to me like... And I don't know whether this is true or not. And you can tell me whether it's true or not. Is that, you know, there's still a role there for Rena Owen... That can be as powerful and as impactful as Beth Hickey, and I wonder if you found mm. that you're you're still seeking it, or actually, it's the unattainable.
1: I, I'd like, yeah, I, I kind of, I knew back then that, and still to this day, it's to get a role that matches, let alone even gets close to that. Boy, if I'm blessed with another one in my lifetime, then I'm. Super blessed because uh, those kind of roles don't exist uh, unless somebody creates them.
0: But isn't that part of the problem, though, Ren? Isn't that part of the problem that because there are so many stories uh, that should be told that have these powerful characters, lead female powerful mm, characters, mm. that we know about them. I mean, you've got you've got hundreds of them in Ngātihene. Yes, this is right. We need to,
1: yeah, it's, and I don't necessarily see it as a problem. I think that's more the word, that's the challenge front in front of us is okay. And that's, you know, I've, I've got a lot of skills and I've, I've, as a writer, as a creative, as an actor, and I call myself a creative because I do all of those yeah. things and I did spend a 10 years of my life producing and developing a project and that kind of went askew. So it's not for want of trying. There's many out there that have tried to get their projects up and running. It's a long road, which is why I'll always acknowledge Robin. You're the, as a producer, you're the first in the gate. It can take you 10, it can take you 20 years. Even the biggest Hollywood movies can take 10, 20 movies. To develop your script, get your director, and then raise all that money to mm. make it. It's an enormous job, and, and very few manage to pull it off, and very few manage to be hits. Very, very few. In fact, I was so naive at the time. I thought, oh, well, every movie I'm going to do is going to be
0: a once for are <laughs> This one was easy. It was it, a hit. They'll yeah. all be hits They'll all be, be hits.
1: no. Yeah. No, Do you no, mind if, not.
0: I, if I ask you what the project w- was that went askew?
1: Yeah, I, um, I was given a novel by the daughter of a publisher, of a, an exceptional publisher called Christine Colcatley, who single-handedly put literature, New Zealand literature giants, on the shelves. And I was given this book called Behind the Tattooed Face. Oh,
0: Pat Hedatonga Baker, I yes. Pat yeah. Baker,
1: by her daughter. And I said, well, what do you want me to do? And she said, well, I want you to read it. Maybe you'll want to write it, direct it or produce it. And I was up home. Mum was a book reader and I sat there on the couch. She's reading one book. I'm reading this. And then I finished it and I put it down and she said, well, what do you think? Because Mum came to that meeting with me at the Waitangi Treaty Grounds, where we met, because I was at home at the time. I said, "Well, it's brilliant, but it's going to go in the two heart basket." And she said, "Why?" I said, "Well, we just don't have that many Maori who, who can walk, work in front of the camera and who are well versed in Te Reo Maori." And I said, "Also, I'd have to raise twenty to thirty million dollars to pull this off." Uh. And, um, and I went off to L.A. and did a job. And you know what? The, the images
0: yeah.
1: out of that book just wouldn't leave me alone. I'd wake up in L.A. and all of these tupunas standing at the end of my bed. And I'm like, oh, go away, go away. <laughs> these characters just... just no, I absolutely them. agree
0: with you. It's one of the only page oh. turner books I read at, at secondary school. And you're right. It's the images, the image, and the path. or
1: Terangi, when he lays down his
0: life yeah. for his pūhi. Did you try and get that off the ground?
1: No. Yes, I did, and I spent a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of
0: money. What happened?
1: Um, and we developed. So it took years to develop the screenplay. But here we are. Brought in Leire yeah. Brown initially for the first few drafts. I, Brad Harmy was my Maori yeah. consultant. He did a couple of drafts. I did a lot of drafts. Script consultants, development with the New Zealand Film Commission. We got it, the script to a place where it was. Yeah. And then, um, big uh, bankruptcy thing happened in the world. You know where we, we oh, all. Oh, two thousand and seven kind of, global yes, financial crisis. Yes. Okay. So it got put on the back burner. It became very tricky to try and sell this because no one had seen a movie like this. Mm. had ever seen or could even fo- see it in their minds. Well, of course, now we've got the tagline. Yeah. Behind the tattooed face is the moldy Black Panther. <laughs> now people have, and here's what we have to accept and acknowledge. Those who put the money, mm. put their skin in the game, they risk losing thirty million dollars.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This is why they are. It's particularly hard. But but
0: even now, Rena, oh, yeah. I mean, well, because we've got things like well, I, one that I always felt was kind of similar was something like Apocalypto.
1: Yes, that's that was that gave me that gave me um, that film reinvigorated the Did project because okay. then I could say to the people it's like this but it's got depth yeah, and yeah. it's got character relationships because Mel Gibson said it himself, that film was a fast fast car chase on foot <laughs> something he always wanted to do yeah. but the backdrop and the culture made yeah. it interesting yeah. um, and um, I'd gotten it to a really good place and I had found the right creative team and um but the publisher passed away. Yeah. yeah, you know, as people do, they pass away. And so the rights went back to the whānau uh, and the author's estate. And uh, God bless both the daughters. They not film people. So this is the other thing. them, where up as a challenge can be for a lot of us who want to tell Nati in these stories. You've got to deal with all the whānau. You've got to deal with the tribe. You've got to cross these T's and dot these I's and sometimes it's very hard to please people one person may go i love your script the other will go i hate your script which is why i think one of my best advice to young aspiring filmmakers is follow follow your creator be true to you, what, your creator be true to your what, whatever is your modi order that's what you need to be true to because you are going to get your haters. You are going to get people coming at your left, right, and center, putting up obstacles, barriers, and I'll tell you right now, if that's not happening to you, then what you're doing is not of significance. Mm-hmm. That's not to diminish what you're trying to do, but when you dare to do something like a once we were warriors, well, you know, that's when you dare to go out like that, then, yeah, you, it's going to come at you. Come at you, what, you miss out on an award? Mm-hmm. You know, or come at you another way? It's just, it's part of the journey. And and, and it's. I guess that's why we get to be called trailblazers, because we're blazing territory that hasn't quite been scorched or touched or burnt. But I might go at, back to them and go, well, have you seen FINA now? Because this was the year we were actually doing FINA, where they said, yeah, they... Could, weren't comfortable signing the, con- the contract for the, which the Film Commission requires in order to be in, an investor. Yeah. So these are things, yes, it's easy to say and it's true. We have all these Mori stories. We've got all this mouldy talent. and But what it takes to make a movie, it's uh, it's a mountain.
0: I it's um, an enormous maunga. You know, one of the, the admirable things um, about you is despite the award issue, the passion for this stuff is just so obvious, mm. it oozes out of you, mm-hmm. and um, which you know talks a lot about you, actually, mm. in recognising this thing mm. and the creative thing, and knowing that that's what you're on this earth to do.
1: Yes, and and I've I say it now, and I say it every day. To to I do not recommend the arts. <laughs> I don't. As a career, I say to young people, I say to our rangatai, there's two careers I I encourage. Food, because people always got to (laughs) eat, or medicine, because people always get sick. When you pursue the arts, and I kind of just knew way back then in 1985, September 1985, when I made the decision to go to drama school. My dad was shame about your medical career, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, I went to drama school. I followed my heart. Um, You've got to be born to do it; otherwise, you'd never stick with it. It's because you never look. All I have is right here, right now. Yeah, that's the only way I can live my life. I can't tell you right now where's my next paid job, but I've always believed that there would be another paid job. So I've always had faith. And I've managed to always have a roof over my head and a kai in my puku. Mm. But also I think what enabled me to do it is how I grew up. I grew up in the, in the lap of Papa Tuanuku. You know, all our whanau's had a lot of kids. We milked cows. We were dairy farmers. My grandmother had a very successful dairy farm. Everything we ate came out of our gardens. She had every fruit in her orchard. We planted, we harvested, we fed the whānau. That's the way I grew up. And we grew up around the marae, around our extended whānau. The only thing we weren't allowed when we were growing up was to speak the language. Mm. And I remember taking it as a subject in high school. And brilliant linguistic, Ian McCormack. Oh, yeah. Skinny little Parkia yeah, fella. Yeah. Sorry, Mr. McCormack. But, and I thought, my young Māori, I said, here come a Pākehā teach me how to māori. <laughs> and I said to Dad, Dad, why aren't you? Because he was gifted, yeah, yeah. gifted for a or praised for it. Mm. And he said, never mind. Never mind the language. He said, the language is not going to get you a job. He said, you get your school C and you get your UE. Mm. And our parents did what they believed and which was the right thing for us in that generation. Mm. Getting school CUE got me a job. You know, had I not have pursued working internationally, then I probably would have gone uh, total immersion. Because I understand more than what I will speak Mm. it because I grew up, that's all my grandmother and my dad spoke. That was the first language all around us. You know, everyone spoke Māori. Uh, Our marae was full of all our kaumātua and was gifted. It was beautiful. And that, first and foremost, for Māoridom, is our first stage, Mm. is our marae. Mm. And that's where we tell stories. We're we're naturals. We're damn good at it. But, yeah, we have to, I think, go back to that famous quote of Siapirana Natas, where we take the, the tools of the Parkia, But this is, we do have to pick them up and we have to work with them. Mm. We would never have, warriors would never have been made without both Parkia
0: and Māori. I remember um, Uncle Wasi, the Waihoro shortening oh, said, yeah, um, relation, I said, how, yeah. how yes, yeah. he said, I said to him, how is it that you could, he won an award for Shylock, Mm-hmm. Best Actor for mm-hmm. Shylock and the Mighty Merchant of Venice. And I said, how can you relate to a character that is uh, a Jewish person <laughs> who wants yeah. a pound of flesh? And he said, we had William Shakespeare at every marae and Ngai That's right.
1: <laughs> and you know what? And that, that particular play was brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. And, yeah, he grew up in Matawai. Yeah. You know, he was a whāngae baby to yeah, Matawai. We're
0: getting into Ngāti Henekorea. Oh, no,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mata, Mata, you know, Matawai was down the road. But, yeah. Mata, you know, when you looked at Matawai, that was a community mm. that only ever spoke mould. Yes. So I'd sit next to yes. one of the girls from Matawai because I knew she was, you know, and I'd cheat. Because <laughs> she was onto it, so that's what I would have probably applied myself to had I not pursued the international. But we make the choices we make, yeah. and we live with the consequences for better or worse yeah. of the choices we make. And it was right for me, as my mother said, pursue those opportunities while you can. And I was ready to come home five, seven years ago. i had been building my house at Moodywai. Right. I brought. As a result of my first film, Rapa Nui, uh, not a great movie, <laughs> <laughs> but a bunch of us Māoris got cast in Rapa Nui, yeah. okay? We go over there with a the two-month contract. We're there for five, nearly six months. Me and Cliff Curtis didn't drink alcohol. So while everyone went and pissed... <laughs> their their, uh, per diem away, drunk their per diem away. Me and Cliff both saved our American dollar per diem. Me and Cliff both came back to New Zealand in 1993 and bought property. I bought Moody Wai Beach because that gave me my Bay of Islands without the commute. He brought Ponsonby. Yes, and I am, my fuddy has been red tagged and I will find out next week if I get my fuddy back. Gee. So, but the reason I didn't come back also two, seven years ago is that pilot for the TV series right. where I had a six year contract. So it was like, okay, well, I kind of got to keep, still keep a life in North America because I was there in Vancouver, Canada for six to eight months every year. And that's what gave me the money to build on Moody Why. Right. While well, I'm not building anymore. <laughs> I, I just, I just to
0: say, I wish you the best of it, no matter what it is. Mm. Um, and the other thing I'll say is, I still remem- remember up Nui. I've still got the badge from going to the premiere in Wellington. Oh my I still gosh. remember you Do portaka juice on up um But the other thing I, I think, in conclusion, that I wanted to say to you was that, you know, I just think it's hugely commendable, and as I said, admirable, mm. that someone just keeps going just keeps going on a path that they know is their true path. Mm -hmm. No matter what happens, and all the adversities and everything and visa issues and what have you, and lack of awards and recognition that should have gone your way, just keeps going. And I wish you the the very best of it. Thank you. Well, you keep going, right? That's what it's all well, about. Well, like I said, it's minor yeah. league by comparison to no, Hollywood. I have to say, no, I don't agree. You know, uh, Marty no, Radio. I <laughs> no, I
1: don't agree. I don't agree. Um, everyone, everyone who you would deem successful, they all say the same thing. Well, I, you know, is you you keep going. That's the key mm. to it. As you persevere and no matter what. To say no matter what, and in order to get to a mountaintop, you got to walk through a valley. And you get to a mountaintop, and then guess what? You're going to fall off that mountaintop <laughs> and walk through another valley. But as long as you walk back, another mountaintop, and that's life. And I think we have an obligation to live, to be the best person you can be, and to live your best life. Because then by doing that, you others. Can reap the benefits of my blessings. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank
0: you.